all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Good morning, and you're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're going to be talking about diabetes, so anything goes related to diabetes today. If you want to join our conversation or you have a question or a comment, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 As always, you can send me an email, and that address is fit at mpbonline.org and we'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. And joining me in the studio today is Arena McLean with the Diabetes Foundation of Mississippi. And that's what we're talking about today, diabetes. And really anything goes, you can give us a, a call with your questions or your comments about diabetes. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four, and my email is fit at mpbonline.org if you would rather send your question in that way. That is just fine. Now, chances are that you know someone in your life who is living with diabetes because it is rather prevalent here in the state of Mississippi, and we're going to talk about some numbers in just a minute. But first, I want to uh, just learn a little bit about you, Arena. Tell me about yourself and about the Diabetes Foundation. Okay. Well, I'm a transplant from the state of Vermont, believe well, we'll it or not. <laughs> I've actually lived in Mississippi longer than I lived in Vermont. But um, I have a master's in public health, and I've been with the Diabetes Foundation of Mississippi for 25 years wow. now doing, you know, health education and, you know, programs and services at the foundation. Um helped out with our Sweet Subject School Diabetes Education program that we do around the state when students are diagnosed with mm-hmm. diabetes to make sure school staff and everyone know how to manage during the school day. And also um, over Camp Can Do, which is Mississippi's only camp for children with diabetes and their families. And we actually have that coming up in May. So yeah. been doing that for about, I guess, 18 years now. So. Yeah, and I've, I've volunteered at Camp Can Do before. And it's, Wonderful. Yeah, it's a great... It's fun. It's a great opportunity. Those kids are great. Um, I did some some nutrition stuff with them. Fantastic. Uh, bought in uh, some of my uh, lovely fake food, and we mm-hmm. built some healthy plates and, and that kind of stuff. And then they promptly went and jumped in the uh, lake after it was over. There you go. I mean, <laughs> over they're with. kids. <laughs> they're kids. That's, you know, and I think that's one of the neatest things about um, caring for children is at the heart of it, they're they're just kids, you yeah, know. We, and we tell parents, kids first, diabetes second. Yeah. In fact, that's one of the books that we give to families. Yeah. All right. So that's a little bit about you. 
talk about the Diabetes Foundation. You know, what sure. what's your mission? Oh, our mission is to care for and improve the quality of life for all children, all adults, and all families that are living with diabetes here in, the, in Mississippi. And we accomplish that through education, programs, and services. We've been around since 1965. Dr. Alton Cobb, who used to be with the Department of Health, um, started it as an organization to disseminate medical information to health practitioners around the state. In the 1970s, we partnered with American Diabetes Association as part of their One State, One Affiliate program, And then ADA revamped and um, changed their organizational structure in 1998. So our board of directors went to all the transitional meetings and thought, how is this going to help Mississippi families if we, Mm. you know, give up our charter and give all our donations to um, Alexandria, Virginia, and couldn't figure out how it would help people here so we fulfilled our fiduciary um, responsibilities that with is a the big national. word for Monday yes, <laughs> definitely <laughs> and uh, then we ended up um, disaffiliating and we're sued in federal court and won um, here wow. in Jackson which was amazing because it was like a David and Goliath mm-hmm. um, situation but it's nice because we don't have to go through bureaucratic red tape to address a problem for instance our school program Gosh, it was back when one of our kids um, just started kindergarten, our can-do kids, we call them, and the teacher couldn't figure out if it was separation anxiety or whether she was having low blood sugar. Right. So we started a, a, you know, a, a really nice program that we continued today to make sure that they understand warning signs of lows and highs and how to uh, you know, even kind of anticipate for and treat them properly and, you know, teach them how to use meters, strips, et cetera. We still have about 15 or 16 districts that don't have school nurses. Mm -hmm. We wish that wasn't the case. And, uh, you know, with the camp, um, kids feeling like they're so alone when they're diagnosed because, you know, it's one out of 450 students or, or children have type 1 diabetes, which is still the more prevalent form. And trying to create a way where they can network, the families can network. So now we have, thanks to technology, a, a great um, private families page for parents and grandparents called Can Do Families. And it's a lively group, and everybody's interacting, asking questions, giving tips. But we also have that experience where kids are not alone anymore. They make friends at camp. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a nice day camp, and families have the option to spend the night. We have it every May and every November. Mm-hmm. And we also have things coming up like our super conference, which is our big patient meeting with breakout sessions for adults with type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and also for families of children with diabetes. And try to address everything from just day-to-day care, um, dealing with diabetes burnout, and you know, giving uh, caregivers coping strategies mm-hmm. for dealing with that. And then, for instance, with the um, adults with type 1 and type 2, we'll be discussing getting to the heart of diabetes, protecting your heart, Mm -hmm. and and how that interrelates with blood glucose and everything. So we try to do it all. Um, We also do a CME meeting that's coming up on March 29th. This year it's going to be held in Hattiesburg at Merritt Wesley. And that's managing diabetes in the 21st century, um, managing diabetes in pregnancy, childhood, and adulthood, Mm -hmm. and have a great array of speakers, including um, Dr. John Morrison from University Medical Center School of, uh, I mean, Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and and Autumn Douglas from 
Diabetes Care Group, and we also have uh, Dr. Daniel Shaw from Pennington Biomedical Research, who's a pediatric endocrinologist, and Dr. Tanya De Silva from Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center, who will be talking about um, managing diabetes in adulthood and elderly, as well as preventing, you know, diabetes. So. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, if you want to join our conversation about diabetes, that number is one mpb ring one 672 There's lots of cool stuff going on at the Diabetes Foundation, and, we, and you've talked a, a fair amount about kids. Mm-hmm. And now let's talk about um, the different types of diabetes, sure. because there's, there's several, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's something that confuses people, because we've gotten away from some of the terminology mm-hmm. and, and everything, but type 1 diabetes formerly called juvenile, is the rarer form of diabetes. It's about 5% of the population with diabetes has type 1. It's thought to be triggered by a virus. That's one of the schools of thoughts. Mm -hmm. And the immune system, of course, attacks the virus and then makes a mistaken attack on the pancreas, specifically the cells that make insulin, the beta cells. And it can take weeks, months, even years for the disease process Mm -hmm. to go. But when about 95% of those beta cells are destroyed, you start seeing the classic thirst, frequent urination, and weight loss. Um, We have a lot of families I know that call us up after the fact, after their child's been diagnosed, and they're they're upset because they miss the warning signs. But it's not one of the first. They're so vague. I mean, your kids, I mean, my kids, I've got two. I've got a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. And, you know, if I freaked out every time they told me they were, you know, tired, which is another mm-hmm, another exactly. symptom, or, you know, and then, then they spend the majority of their day at, at school, you know, exactly. so you miss some of those things as well, especially with maybe mm-hmm. the frequent urination or the, you know, the thirst, because you don't, you know, they're not with you that exactly. much of the day. So exactly. it's easy to miss. But, oh, exactly. you know, I can I can imagine the, yeah, the guilt and, and with that. Yeah, and teachers are valuable because a lot of times teachers will call us up and say, hey, we're concerned about a student. How do we address it with the parents? So we'll give them some tips mm-hmm. for talking with the parent. So with that type of diabetes, type 1 diabetes, you go on insulin right from the moment of diagnosis. There's there's no other way to manage right. it. Type 2 is the more common form of diabetes. And that generally, I mean, generally we, we used to call it adult onset diabetes. We do see 5- and 6-year-olds mm-hmm. with it. And it's a disease of, um, of insulin resistance. Your body still makes insulin but cannot use it properly. And we do see a more aggressive type of diabetes in our children and our uh, type 2 diabetes mm-hmm. in our children and our adolescents. But in general, with that type of diabetes, diet and exercise, oral medication, and eventually people, you know, probably about 40 to 60 percent will go on insulin, not because they did something wrong, but because it, it's considered a progressive form of diabetes. And gestational diabetes, for instance, is sort of a subset of type 2 diabetes. Generally, what happens once you deliver the baby you go back to having, you know, normal. You're not back with diabetes anymore. You go back to normal blood glucoses and things. But you are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes, specifically within that first five years after delivery. You're at a much higher mm-hmm. chance of uh, developing it. Yeah. So, you know, there people tend to think type 1 is worse than type 2 because you start off on insulin, and you know, it's like they're both... They're both equal opportunity. You know, you need to get a grip right. on them right from the beginning. And and part of the reasons why we discuss so much the psychosocial aspects of diabetes management is because how do you get people motivated 
you know, especially with type two, they've had 30, 40 years of being on autopilot. How do you get them motivated to do what they need to do? Think about mm-hmm. what they're eating, et cetera. Yeah. So. Yeah. You're speaking my language there with mm-hmm. lifestyle medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, that's motivation is the, the key really to any of the chronic illnesses exactly. that we're treating is, is the motivation to, to do that. And everybody has has it in them. Exactly. <laughs> we just exactly. got to find gotta what the motivation that, is. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. All right. We'll go ahead and take our first break of the hour. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about those different types uh, of diabetes and some of the programs that the Diabetes Foundation has available for those. If you want to join our conversation, now is a perfect time to do so. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And my email is fit at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a few. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC, and we're talking about diabetes today. Joining me in the booth is Arena McLean with the Diabetes Foundation, and over the break, we acquired another guest. We've got uh, Autumn Myhan, who is a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator, and she'll be helping us uh, answer questions about diabetes as well. If you have one, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven. All right, Autumn, tell us a little bit about you and what what you do as a registered dietitian and diabetes educator. Um, Thank you for having me, first of all. So I've been a registered dietitian and certified in diabetes for quite some time. Um, Pretty much the only thing I've ever done is diabetes since probably 2000, 2001. So um, I've worked in a variety of settings in um, diabetes centers. I've worked with insulin pump companies putting... um, adults and children with type 1 and type 2 diabetes on insulin pumps. Um, I'm currently working for Diabetes Care Group, um, which is a clinic where we do medical management and education for diabetes. All right, so you've got a ton of background and knowledge related to diabetes, so I know that you'll be able to help help us with any questions that probably come up. I want to piggyback on something that we were talking about before the break we had talked about the different types of diabetes we talked about type 1 we talked about type 2 and that type 1 you know historically we thought of as um a kiddo disease Mm -hmm. um although there are some young adults you know in the in their 20s who are um kind of manifesting with type 1 type stuff going in you can develop type 1 into your ninth decade Mm -hmm. of life wow so we have we had a 65 year old grandparent of one of our can-do kids come into the office about six months ago and said the doctor thought she had type 2 diabetes, Mm -hmm. managed her on oral med, blood sugars all over the place, and she went into diabetic ketoacidosis and ended up in the hospital where they did some antibody studies and discovered she had actually type 1 diabetes. That's the latest presentation Mm -hmm. I've heard of, you know, um, and primary care. 
um, I kind of wind up with those that are in their mid twenties mm-hmm. that maybe have gone to an emergency department and gotten diagnosed with type two. And then when I get them in the clinic for a follow up, and I'm looking at them, I'm thinking this just doesn't fit mm-hmm. the picture of of type two. And by that, I mean that the onset of their high blood sugar was relatively rapid. You know, like Mm -hmm. I may have some lab results from them from a year ago and their sugar is stone cold normal and their hemoglobin A1C, which is that average blood sugar test, is normal. And then now all of a sudden, you know, our sugars are 400, 500 and I'm going something in jiving with that picture because usually with type 2 diabetes, you kind of had some elevated sugars for for quite a while going on in there and in the pre-diabetes range um, as well. So, you know, it's always important to make sure that you get the right diagnosis because they are treated differently. You know, Mm -hmm. insulin can be used in in either one, but the medicines by mouth – they're just simply not going to cut it with mm-hmm. your if you're if you truly have type one and you're going to keep winding up in DKA, mm-hmm. um, which is diabetic ketoacidosis, which is a complication of uncontrolled um, blood sugars, in particular in your type uh, one patients, uh, and then gestational diabetes, which you mentioned a little bit mm-hmm. um, about, is the onset of uh, high blood sugars during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So some folks get a little confused and think that it's you know, if I had type 2 diabetes and I'm pregnant now, I have gestational diabetes, and, and that's that's not it. Um, it's the first occurrence of a high blood sugar during pregnancy. That's why they make you drink that delicious, Glucose. delicious mm-hmm. beverage um, <laughs> about 24 to 28 weeks. Um, and I was lucky enough to fail my uh, my one-hour delicious sugary beverage. And you, then you get to drink uh, an even sweeter more delicious sugary beverage and do it for three hours. So I had that same experience. You did too. <laughs> you did. Um, so you know, it was fruit punch, mm. it, and so you will never. That'll cure you of wanting fruit punch ever again because it is syrupy. Uh, sweet on that. Luckily enough, I passed that three-hour one by about six points, which was yay. But then also, you're kind of going, man, that was a little too close for comfort. Right. Like mm-hmm. I need, I gotta watch, uh, watch what I'm doing there. But on those gestational di- uh, diabetes moms, you know, usually when the baby is delivered. Over the next couple of weeks, the sugar starts to to trend back down into normal. But like you mentioned, they're at increased risk. Yeah, I think it's about 60% um, risk of developing type 2 diabetes in that first five years after delivery, which is something to watch for. And again, we all gain weight. You know, when we're Mm -hmm. we're pregnant, I gained 40 with the first one and I think about 55 with the twins. Mm -hmm. And, oh, gosh, twins. Uh, yeah. Goodness. And, um, you know, losing that weight, getting active, eating healthily is so important. Mm-hmm. You know, nursing if you can because that burns off the calories yeah. too. Yeah. And then making sure that you kind of don't forget about the fact that exactly. you had gestational and that, you know, when you go for that six-week postpartum visit, you know, get a sugar check. You know, mm-hmm. that's not something that they normally do, but, you know, ask for a sugar check mm-hmm. and just see what you're working with there. And then every year, make sure that you're getting, you know, your blood sugar checked so that you can head off anything, you know, if you see it. Because um, there's kind of one big thing that we haven't talked about, and that's pre-diabetes, right? Mm-hmm. Autumn, tell me about pre-diabetes. So pre-diabetes, as people like to call it out in the community, um, borderline. borderline. That's what I hear. I'm borderline. A touch of sugar. Yeah. So yeah. if you've been told borderline or touch of sugar, um, that is the area that we call prediabetes. And um, 
like we were just talking about the the A1C or the average A1C level um, being six and a half or higher, having diabetes, um, it does go down to about the 5.8 range, 5.8 to 6.4 percent is that pre-diabetes mm-hmm. range. And so recognizing and identifying that earlier, which we do um, in our clinic as well, so you can delay or prevent the onset of diabetes is is a really good thing to do. And um, I think when people fall in that range, we kind of go in two directions, either panic and say, oh, my goodness, I almost have diabetes or, oh, I don't have it yet. Right. And so um, which neither one of those is really necessary, right. um, except for to start paying attention to the lifestyle factors that we should address um, right. in that stage. Right. You know, I. I tend to think of prediabetes, you know, I mean, I guess pun intended as the sweet spot because, mm-hmm. you know, this is the the spot where if we can find our motivation, find our why, which we were talking about before the break, then we can really halt the progression and keep you from moving into full-blown diabetes. It's, you know, it's it's the perfect time to kind of look at what areas you might could make some changes in and set reasonable small goals. Because just like you said, some people freak out when they get it mm-hmm. and then they try to change everything mm-hmm. at once. And, you know, from working with folks on, you know, lifestyle medicine type stuff, it the ones that are successful are not the ones that try to change everything all at once. Right. Because you you get burned out on that like I can't have that I need to go to the gym you know all these different things together and just pick you know one little something to work on you know maybe it's that you're a um, a coke person or you know pepsi that was the big debate the other day whether you're coke or pepsi you know but any form of soda and you know if you're drinking two or three of those a day can we cut back to one a day you know and that is a goal that we can set work on doesn't mean i'm gonna leave you there at one a day but you know we can continue to work on those types of things but setting those small goals um to really move you toward where you want to be because the other thing i see is folks um assuming because their parents had diabetes that that's their fate as well that they're going to wind up there you know and it's just simply not not the case just because that was their story it doesn't mean it has to be your story too right, right. You, you can delay i i worked in a research lab at um, university of california san diego and we were doing um, dna polymorphisms that seem to be um, associated with type 2 diabetes mm-hmm. it means a, a different form of a dna pattern and i was supposed to be the normal control on one of the southern blots that we were doing and instead had the pattern now we tested my family had a brother with diagnosed type 2 another brother with um had symptoms of prediabetes, both of them had the same pattern. And fortunately, I'm I'm over 45 mm-hmm. now, have not developed it. But for me, the motivation was seeing what happened to right. my brothers who, who really didn't pay attention to it. But it's, um, it's just, you know, I kind of had knowledge up front, you know, in my right. 30s about what was going what on. What was going so, on. Yeah. yeah so. You know, I see that um, a, a lot. People scared of of what might be, mm-hmm. but it's just knowledge. You know, the yeah. more you know, the more you can change. It's hereditary and, you know. and environment. You can't change your hereditary, which that's your genetic makeup, but you certainly can You can make some lifestyle changes and change the environment, change how you eat, things like that. Right. right. All right, we're talking diabetes today on Southern Remedy, and if you have a question about blood sugar, diabetes, we'd love to talk with you. Our number's 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 672 Four. My email is fit at mpbonline.org. 
I want to touch on that hemoglobin A1C again for folks who might not know um, exactly what that number means. I spent the the past week doing dental missions week, and uh, I was in charge of medical triage. So we did blood sugars on everyone, and a lot of sugars were were high. And, you know, so I would say, do you know what your last A1C was? And a lot of folks were like, what's that? Right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, even folks who had diabetes weren't quite sure what hemoglobin A1C is. Autumn, can you expand on what that is a little bit? Sure, sure. Um, the hemoglobin A1C, and a lot of you may have heard this piece where it measures what your blood sugar has run for the last two to three months. And it's really not that complicated. It measures how much sugar is stuck to red blood cells. And every two to three months, your red blood cells die and you get new ones. So that's how, um, you know, a lot of people come into our clinic and their diabetes, you know, their blood sugars are completely out of control. And Lo and behold, in three more months, you know, their A1C is down closer mm-hmm. or in a target range. So um, you really can make the changes that quickly if you um, if you get involved in your care and pay attention to that. So um, that's that's what it means. If you're looking at how it compares to a number on your blood sugar monitor, uh, I know I always pull the chart out. Yeah, I there's a nice the, chart. <laughs> I don't have all the numbers memorized, but, um, you know, under 7% is it was what the goal is. Six and a half is better, but under 7% is ideal. And a, a blood sugar of about 156 is around a seven. So, you know, if you're just looking at how that compares sitting in your house right now, what does that mean? That's about where a normal range is. Um, But what's important to know is that if your blood sugars are out of control, um, people that never think they're going to get their blood sugars controlled with a a little bit of customized education um, can really bring your blood sugars down um, with what you're doing and what your doctor's doing. Absolutely. um, That's why the education Irene and her team at the foundation brings is key because you really have to take control of your own learning. You do. And last week on the show, we talked about heart disease. And, you know, one of the big misconceptions that that I see in clinic is um, folks come in and they'll say, well, you know, my blood sugar, I take my medicine and my blood blood sugar is normal. So I'm not at increased risk for heart disease. And that's not necessarily the case, because Mm -hmm. if you haven't changed the lifestyle piece, then the risk Mm -hmm. factors for heart disease are still there. You know, if you're still eating not great foods, still not moving a lot, got a lot of stress, anxiety, depression, all of those risk factors are still there for the development of heart disease. So it's taking your medicines like we ask you to do, and then also the education piece of how can I change what I'm eating and how much I'm moving, some of these other factors in there to get the best control um, overall. Because you might not need quite as much medication uh, if we can work right. on some of those things. Now, not as much on your type 1s. They still, um, you know, they're they're always going to have to have insulin, just mm-hmm. like you said when mm-hmm. you started. You know, um, your type 2s, sometimes I find that those folks see insulin as a failure, and I try mm-hmm. really hard to work with them that it's, it's not a failure, you know, if we have to use that, that just – it's just part of the the treatment plan that we have to do and just because we have to use it right now doesn't mean we have to use it forever Mm -hmm. you know it might not be something that we have to stay on um in the long term but the medicine piece and the lifestyle piece is just really crucial to get the best control of the diabetes and then prevent kind of the what we call 
comorbid, which is one, another one of those big Monday words mm-hmm. we've been throwing around mm-hmm. this morning, um, you know, are diseases that tend to follow along with mm-hmm. diabetes, like heart disease, kidney disease. Um, and we'll talk about some of those complications of diabetes um, when we come back from the break. So if you want to give us a call, now is a perfect time to do so. We've got some open lines. That number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one 672 We'll be back after the break. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me in the studio today are Irena McLean with the Diabetes Foundation and Autumn Myhan with the Diabetes Care Group. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about diabetes today. And uh, we've kind of been going through the different types of diabetes as well as what pre-diabetes means and talking a little bit about some things that we can do to kind of try and halt um, the progress of pre-diabetes into um, full-on type to diabetes. We've had an email question come in over the break and a caller, so we'll go ahead and uh, go to our caller, Frank in Flowood. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. How are you? I'm just fine. How are you? Good. I just wanted to share a personal experience, which is that I was diagnosed with type 2 in my late 50s, which Mm -hmm. was not a big surprise because my father was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes at about the same time. Uh, but over the last few years, I have um, lost a lot of weight, gone okay. from a, lost 40 pounds, gone from a BMI of 29 down to 24. And I have started exercising six times a week, and I have moved to a pretty strict ketogenic whole food diet. And I no longer have type 2 diabetes, and I'm not on any medication. So the whole lifestyle thing really does work. I just wanted to provide that personal example of how it can work. Well, I appreciate you for calling and sharing that because, you know, sometimes folks feel alone um, when they're diagnosed with uh, diabetes or with any chronic disease, really. And, you know, if they're overweight or they kind of have a crummy diet, even starting to think about how you tackle that can feel overwhelming mm-hmm. and like something that you you won't be able to do. Um, but you can, you know, you just kind of, you got to get a start somewhere. So I'm happy to hear that you were able to find something that works for you um, and that you were able um, to, to lose a little bit of weight, get down into a, a normal BMI and how your blood sugars have kind of normalized out there. So thank you so much for sharing that story with us today. It does work. It took it years. Does. It does. It's slow and steady wins the race. Slow and steady. You know, it, I always tell folks that, you know, it you didn't get here overnight, and so we, we can't fix it overnight, um, but we can start to work on it. So thank you for giving us a call this morning, Frank. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, that was a great story. If, if you've got listeners who would like to share their story or their struggles that they're having with diabetes, 
That number is one eight seven seven MPB ring, one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I'd love uh, to hear your story today. All right, we had an email question come in as well um, that said, uh, "You mentioned cutting back on soda. What are some other dietary changes you can make to help avoiding um, the development of diabetes?" So, Autumn, I'm a registered dietitian. I'm gonna turn it over to you. What you think? Okay, so um, as far as you know, the development of type 2 diabetes, it's, it's very similar to what we teach people that have type 2 diabetes. And, um, you know, just the, the feedback or the, you know, information about the soda, first of all, it's highly individualized. So um, even though I am a registered dietitian, um, when people have different views or ideas or preferences, we really try to cater to that. And kind of my thing is, is, you know, if this isn't not going to be dangerous or kill you or hurt you, right. then let's go ahead and try it, you know. So I just want to say that. Um, one of the things in general, and Irena knows this because I, I speak on this most years at the super conference because it's just an easy way um, to look at nutrition is building a healthy plate. So, um, you know, we can look at low fat, low carb, you know, the, he was just speaking of the ketogenic diet. You do want it to be balanced, but um, a lot of people here, especially in Mississippi, we overeat on our, our starches, our mm. carbohydrates. So whether everything's it's coming, brown, uh, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's like you know, don't ask to put broccoli in the plate lunch because that's not going to work out, you right. know. So um, the main thing is anywhere you go, a good a good way to go about it, whether you're at somebody's house or you know a restaurant or cooking at your own home or with your family, going towards non-starchy vegetables, um, which are really low in calorie, um, high in fiber, low in carbohydrates, um, just fill your plate with most of those. Um, so you don't have to cut out, you know, your rice and your potatoes um, and corn and things like that, but just eating a smaller amount of, of that and then trying to choose a healthier protein. If you're somewhere and all they have is fried pork chops or, you know, ribeyes or hamburger steaks, just eat a smaller mm-hmm. amount. Um, a lot of times we label foods as bad or wrong oh, or cheap gosh, foods, yes. and that just gets you in this whole guilt cycle. So um, just, you know, if you're going to eat a steak that's 600 calories, when you cut it in half, it's only 300 and it's not illegal. Right. So um, I, w- I would say be careful with your starchy vegetables, which is your corn, potatoes, um, sweet potatoes, peas, and beans. They're still okay vegetables, but they count just like bread. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the hardest thing, I think, for us to adjust to here um, with limiting those and, and eating bigger of the other green leafy ve- vegetable types. Yeah. You know, a misconception that I think people have is that you have to be hungry. Like when you make a healthy lifestyle right. change, mm-hmm. they're like, are you not hungry all the time? No, friend, I'm not hungry. Because the foods that actually are the, the best for us are very bulky foods. You know, right. when you're talking about those non-starchy vegetables and the green leafy foods, you know, our stomach doesn't really necessarily perceive things as the number of calories. You know, it's not like a bank. Mm-hmm. When I eat something, it goes, oh, that was 250 calories. You've only got room for 100 more. That's right. that's not how it works. It's mm-hmm. it's size, you know. And so if I eat something that's um, a small size but a lot of calories, you know, maybe some candy or something like that, I'm going to be hungry again in, you know, 30 minutes because right. my stomach wasn't full. But if I eat a big old salad and then, you know, a whole grain on the side of that and a lean protein, then my stomach is full full up, but mm-hmm. the majority of my calories um, came from those non-starchy type vegetables. And so I'm fuller for longer and my blood sugar doesn't spike and all of those different kinds of things. So it truly is about building that 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 healthy plate and making non-starchy vegetables kind of the, the foundation of that plate and what you can have seconds of if you're still right. hungry, you know, because we're... Where folks tend to go wrong is when they make such drastic changes that they're then hungry 
and nobody likes to be hungry, you know, right. and so they don't stick with things for a long period of time because they think they're going to be hungry forever. And nobody wants to be hungry. Uh, we just have to make um, wiser choices right. or better choices. I usually tell my patients it may not be the best choice, but it was a better choice than what maybe you would have made before. Uh, and that's all moving you in the right direction there. All right, we've got another caller. We're going to go to Columbus and talk with Jeff. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Um, I, I would just like to touch base and follow up on a little bit of that. I, I have to um, kind of respectfully disagree with the uh, starchy vegetables being kind of uh, labeled as the bad guy. I'll use my personal example. So a few months ago, maybe four months, five months ago, I had an A1C of about Mm 8.9. And I did did some reading, and I looked at a lot of literature, spent too many hours on the Internet reading, and came up with a a program from Dr. McDougall called the Mm -hmm. Starch Solution. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a diet based on starches and vegetables, whole plant-based. And and I've now started taking strolls, and I've been on a – I mean, I'm talking about eating mass amounts of starchy, mm-hmm. starchy vegetables, mm-hmm. and my A1C is down to now 5.5. I've dropped about 45, 50 pounds, and I just take an evening stroll. Yep. And so, um, anyway, I just wanted to share that with yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually, I'm whole food plant-based as well. Um, so that's the dietary pattern uh, that I eat. So most of my protein does come from uh, beans and legumes. So I'm a little starch heavier as well. It just, again, all kind of depends on what you pair together at one time. And so sure. I know Autumn is, uh, she's she's chomping at the bit. She's got something to say. What you got, Autumn? No, I, I think that's great. First of all, congratulations on yeah, the weight absolutely. loss. And, it's and, and the exercise piece is definitely the part that's missing. I was thinking that when Josie was saying about um the exercise when we're hungry and try to exercise so that yeah, doesn't work out but, um, <laughs> definitely you know we have patients who are you know vegetarian or vegan mm-hmm. as well and there is definitely a place for that and we teach people all the time with with diabetes how to eat that way and it's kind of like what i was speaking to that if every who what your right. preference very, very is and what works for you like you know i don't think i could live without eating meats even though i'm a i'm a female it's like right. I, and so um i commend you on that and that's great and really um, a lot of people with the low carb craze think you have to eat so the, the perception and the uh, how relative it is has gotten way skewed. So, um, you know, where people may be eating 20 grams of carb a day, that is extremely low. Yeah, that's, that's um, so way too low. Even for diabetes, and I'm just saying this to make a reference for people that may be listening and have a question about that. Um, you can eat, you know, 30, 45 grams of carbohydrate per meal, mm-hmm. and that's still fairly low, maybe about 30 for women. Of course, this is highly individualized. Right. I'm just kind of throwing right. something out there. But that would be about a cup of starch. Mm-hmm. And for men, like you're saying, Jeff, about a cup and a half of starch at a meal. So mm-hmm. um, I definitely think that we need to incorporate those things into our diet. Um, typically, we eat larger portions of those, but there's definitely a place, and we should be eating those right. foods, you right. know. So, yeah. thank you for that, and and remind, you know, bringing that forward. Yeah. And, yep. yep. It's a. It's thank a, you, and have a good yeah. day. I'll, I'm going to hang up so you can carry on. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Um, you know, it, it excites me when I hear folks talking about the fact that they've adopted, um, you know, a whole food, plant based um, dietary pattern because it's becoming much more mainstream, and there is a lot of good um, evidence as far as insulin resistance and how it works on that um and the deal with that with with a plant-based diet or you know a a traditional diet that's got got meat in it it we're all 
we're not cutting out any food groups, mm-hmm. you know, with a plant-based diet. Like, mm-hmm. we're still eating protein. You're still eating carbohydrate. You're still eating fruits and vegetables. Whereas some of the more restrictive diets, you're actually eliminating food groups. You right. know, like, I'm, I'm not going to eat any fruits and vegetables on this diet, which boggles my mind that, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. I could, I would die without some fruit and vegetables. You know, just like you said, you couldn't imagine going without meat. I couldn't imagine going without fruits and vegetables right. um, just because... That's what makes my body feel good, right. you know, and I'm meeting all my nutritional needs there. So absolutely, I agree uh, with Jeff there that you can fit starchy foods in there. You just got to work individualized. That's why I really recommend getting a meal um, plan and advice from a registered mm-hmm. dietitian mm-hmm. Um, that can take into account what all of your, you know, your labs are looking like, what your individual situation is and what your goals are um, as well, because they can build you a dietary pattern that will fill you up, keep you satisfied and help control your blood sugar there. Well, at our super conference, we're thrilled that Chef Nick Wallace is going to be there. He's planned the menu for yeah. us. He's going to do a cooking demo. But, you know, he's with the farm to table mm-hmm. movement. Also, you know, taking typical southern things and, and making them delicious. healthy. And I, I'm telling you, you, you have to. Yeah. You'll, you'll love the menu yeah. there, Autumn. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fabulous. Yeah. Have you had his food before, Autumn? I don't think I have. Oh, my oh, gosh. You're in for a treat. It. He's wonderful. He's, he's very knowledgeable. He's been on Food Network's Chopped um, series several mm-hmm. times now. He's uh, He was the executive chef over at the um, Mississippi Museum of Art and has just taken, you know, taken this to incredible heights yeah. so we're thrilled yeah. he's going to be there awesome. talking he usually is also um the chef with us out at mississippi food network for our mm-hmm. moonlight market he usually comes out and uh and helps us out with that as well which that'll be coming up in march all right we're going to go take our last break of the hour and um, we do have a couple open lines if you've got a burning question we're happy to take that one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. we'll be back after the break Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me in the studio today are Irina McLean and Autumn My Hand. And we're talking about diabetes today. And we've got a couple callers on the line. So I'm going to go ahead and get to those and try and get that in before we run out of time. I'm going to go to Robert because he is on the road. Hello, Robert. Hey, how you doing? I'm great. What can we help you with? Uh, I was just trying to, I just got diagnosed with diabetes back in January. Uh, it runs in my family. I know that's mm-hmm. not an excuse, but I was wondering what is the I'm having a hard time dealing with what to eat and what not to eat. Mm-hmm. I've eating everything I want to eat all my life, mm-hmm. and now it just comes to a stop. But what is the average um, blood sugar rating from from uh, for type two when it goes up from 86 or 82 the other day to 186? Is that normal, or I'm having a hard time? Yeah. 
So blood sugar, um, you have to interpret blood sugar in relation to like what part of your day it's in, whether you've had anything to eat or not, or whether you've just eaten or whether it's a couple hours after you've eaten. Autumn, are there specific targets that we're trying to reach for folks? I know there are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's a great question because a lot of people don't know what the number should be. So thank you for asking that question. So when you wake up in the morning, um, 80 to 120, some recommendations will go up to 130. But we like our patients to be somewhere between 80 and 120 in the morning. Um, Less than 70 is too low. So you would address that depending on your medicine, if you're on medicine. And then two hours after you eat, um, what I always teach our patients is, 140 is awesome, 160 is good, over 180 is a little bit too high. So if you're, don't check it right after you eat. That's what a lot of people yeah. want to do. What's happening? And we don't really have levels for normal for that. So um, before meals, 80 to 120, and two hours after meals, about 140 to 180. If it is consistently going up over 180 and you know what you're eating is appropriate, um, then you would want to let your provider, your um, nurse practitioner, doctor know um, yeah. so that they can address that with medicine. Yeah, I agree. Well, it, it, hasn't, it hasn't done that. It hasn't went. Uh, it's been fluctuating between um, um, I work at night. Mm-hmm. I travel overnight. So I, I kind of take my blood sugar after I get up in the afternoon. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. it's not like a normal person who takes night <laughs> you take it that morning. So yeah. it's kind of working how the clock on my body works. Yeah. So I wake up and I, I'll check it and it's, I'd like say it's, they run 126 and then I'll still haven't eaten anything. Mm-hmm. But then when I eat something, it goes up to like 145, 146. Yeah. You know, I would just recommend make sure you're waiting that full two hours after the meal to to check it because, you know, really anything sooner than that, it's it's going to be high Mm -hmm. um, because your body's still processing that. But by about two hours out from that meal, if your medicine's dosed right and we didn't just totally eat all the the carbs and all the starch um, and, you know, lots of refined sugar, then it should be, you know, kind of back down um, into that kind of 140-ish or below range is where I'm usually – pretty comfortable on patients there but always always less than 180 um, is kind of the the marker and I tell my patients that just because if they're hanging out over 180 consistently I want them to go ahead and call me and not wait until the next appointment so that we can go ahead and make either some dietary adjustments or some medication adjustments to bring that back down into the normal range so I hope that helped you Robert it helps me out a lot. I All right. Good. Absolutely. If you need more information, feel free to send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. All right. Let's go on to Mobile and talk with Mikey this morning. Hello, Mikey. Hey, good morning. Thank you. I'll be quick. Sure. Um, uh, I have purchased, um, uh, because it was affordable, a uh, rely on self-monitoring blood glucose. <laughs> I don't know why I'm having trouble. <laughs> That's all right. Blood- Glucose meter. I'm yes, having problems saying that phrase this morning. <laughs> uh, I did it to Java. <laughs> but uh, is this is it is it in fact reliable? So I will tell you that I actually really like the rely on meter um, because of the affordability aspect to it. Um, you know, I usually have my patients bring their meters in and I check one of their meters um, and then I check with one of my meters in the office to make sure that we've got relatively comparable um, results there, of course, within a couple of points. Um, but the rely on meter is usually, you know, under $15 for the meter. And really what is affordable with that particular meter is the strips because mm-hmm. the strips are usually the thing 
that is um, pretty expensive uh, there. Um, so in my experience, I like the rely on meter. What, what are your thoughts, Autumn? I think well, so. I have not been I have not been diagnosed with diabetes, but I come from a family that that has plenty of it. Yeah. And so I bought it kind of as a preventive, you know, like I said, while it was most affordable. Yeah. Um, I did good, huh? You yeah, did good. I definitely. think definitely. Yeah. And especially if you don't um when if you have diabetes, you can often get a prescription and get insurance coverage, but for our patients who have pre-diabetes and like if I just want to check my blood sugar and don't have diabetes, um it's definitely an affordable way to go. Some of the other branded meters have some accuracy studies and things mm-hmm. like that, but you're going to see about a 15% difference. And just like Josie's saying, that's what I would recommend, bring it in when you go to the doctor and and test it unless you see a reason cuz really you're looking for trends and patterns. If the number's not exactly the same, that's okay. Um, So yeah, I think that's fine. And especially if you're being proactive to see what the numbers are, it's definitely going to be a lot less expensive going that route. Thank you so much, doctors. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thank you for giving us a call this morning. All right, guys, we've got just a few minutes left. So briefly tell me about the Super Conference real quick. That's right. It's taking place on February 16th, this upcoming Saturday at the Jackson Marriott downtown. We have breakout sessions for adults with type 2 diabetes, adults with type 1, and for families of children. Um, the price of admission includes lunch, and you get to see a beautiful cooking demonstration by celebrity chef Nick Wallace. And I did want to mention that we have uh, Jackson um, native Gabriel, Gabrielle Banks, who is a child psychologist. Dr. Banks is going to be talking with the families about making it work, family dynamics, and dealing with teens and tweens. So that's something our parents need to think about coming and, and taking part. We'll also have a mini session of our Camp Can Do there and ask parents to register beforehand. It's it's free for children with diabetes along with a paid adult registration. Right. So make sure you guys realize this conference is for families and folks with diabetes. This is not a healthcare provider conference. So check it out and go get some great education information and some yummy food from Chef Nick Wallace because he is a pretty awesome chef there. So thanks to both of you for Thank coming on today you. and helping me answer these questions about diabetes. If we didn't get to your question, you can still send it to me at fit at mpbonline.org and I'll be happy to answer it that way. I want to thank our producer, Kevin Farrell, for an awesome show and make sure you tune in every weekday at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup. You've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio.